Welcome to Wizard Studies. Join us as we peruse all things Potter. Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we have some very special guests on the podcast. Larry and Justin are here with us. They're the co-hosts of Here's Johnny, which is a podcast that we work with inside of Kaleidoscope Media Network. Welcome, Larry and Justin. Hey, what's up? Um, <laughs> Do you want to tell our listeners just a bit about what your podcast is? Yeah, sure. So we are a weekly horror podcast. Um, we review video games and movies. And then we also get guests on who are in the horror industry to either review other films with us, but we also like interview directors and actors and screenwriters and like journalists and just kind of kind of cover all things horror. So we try to keep it friendly to all audiences. I don't think there's a lot of gatekeeping. Is that about it, Jay? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's about it. (laughs) Well, awesome. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking all about horcruxes, and we were hoping that both Larry and Justin could help us talk a little bit about the spookier nature of them and the scarier nature of horcruxes. So before we get started, I was wondering if you two could tell us a little bit about yourselves. Um, what Hogwarts house are you? Kind of what degree of fil- familiar- familiarity do you have with <laughs> Harry Potter? And what's your experience with that? And then one or two of your favorite characters in the series. Justin, you can go first. Oh, yeah? Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I think Larry and I will both agree that uh, I think we both fall under House Slytherin. <laughs> Some good representation. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys need it, right? Right. <laughs> um, Certainly. Larry, do you? I mean. Oh, I was looking to go give you a whole little rundown. I was oh, yeah. In. Okay. Um, so my favorite character is Dobby. Uh, you know, hashtag Dobby died. I cried. Um, <laughs> yeah. And. I guess my first experience with like Harry Potter was, I don't know. My grandmother got me the book when it like first came out in like 97 or 98. And I read like the first four and then saw the movies and yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. I don't know. Um, what about you, Larry? Sure. So I'm also Slytherin house, proud, no shame. <laughs> I'm tired of listening to you guys bash on them. I think Hufflepuff is the worst <laughs> house if we're being, okay. for being honest, but that's, Neither here nor there. Uh, familiarity with the Potter universe. Um, I started reading it when I got the first book in third grade. And I, my name's Larry, right? So I, my f- people used to make fun of me and call me Larry Potter. Cause I used to read it like no joke all the time. I was obsessed. Um, I read the whole series once a year just because it's nice. Reminiscing is pretty fast read. Um, Favorite characters, uh, I mean, it's really hard to not like Harry, especially like growing up along with the character. I really, really liked him, but branching out a little bit further, I I like Sirius Black. I like his background, his family background, the heaviness to it. And then I, I've always felt that one of the things that made Harry Potter so compelling was the villain. I think Tom Riddle being a pretty complex villain and having a lot of different aspects to him makes him a lot more appealing than like say Grindelwald. It's probably my biggest problem with the newer movies is that Grindelwald really isn't that compelling of a villain. 
especially when he was kind of built up to be in the books. I feel like Grindelwald's kind of let down. So yeah, Tom Riddle and Harry Potter, and then Sirius Black in third. That's fair. Those are some interesting favorite characters. I feel like people usually don't people gen, generally like Harry, but don't really say that he's their favorite. And yeah, like, maybe that makes me. I don't think I've ever heard someone say Tom Riddle. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think about this character. I'm not like I don't have posters of him on my wall. It's just. <laughs> there's some characters in the Potterverse, in my opinion, that are kind of flat and not really developed. I mean, it's another reason why I like Umbridge. Like, Umbridge is terrible, but she's one of the coolest, most memorable villains, you know? And she really yeah. doesn't have, like, the presence of, like, any of the Death Eaters or anything, but she... I don't know. I, I, I think Rowling does a pretty good job making villains, and I think villains are compelling. Dude. As a horror <laughs> podcast, and that's not that's not even why. That's just honest to God. I just think that they're. I mean, I would rather read more about Umbridge than I would about Neville. That's fair. Interesting. That's, I don't know. Did you listen to our Umbridge? Episode? I sure did. Yes, I did. And I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I loved it. That was a fun one. Yeah, that's about it. I think that's that's all the that's all the answers, right? Yeah. Yes. All right. Cool. Well, thank you for answering those questions. I liked. Most of most of what you said, I don't know if I loved how much you bashed Hufflepuff, but that's fine. Um, so as I mentioned before, today we're going to be talking about Horcruxes. So just a quick introduction. Horcruxes are an object where a dark wizard or witch has hidden a fragment of his or her soul for the purpose of attaining mortality. Horcruxes can only be created after committing murder, a supreme act of evil. The process for the creation of a Horcrux involves a spell, and a horrific act is formed, or is performed soon after the murder has been committed. So we've talked a little bit before about the ambiguous nature of how to create a Horcrux, so hopefully that's kind of something that Larry and Justin can touch on a little bit later in the episode. So that was just kind yeah. of a quick overview on how to create a Horcrux and what we know. Um, they were originally not supposed to be, there There weren't supposed to be multiples made for each person, but we know that Tom Riddle and Voldemort, slash Voldemort, broke that rule and it was something that he was kind of a, a pioneer in, and then they can be destroyed by damaging them beyond magical repair. So throughout this series, we see this being done by Basilisk Venom, both from Fangs and from the Sword of Gryffindor through Fiendfire, and then for the living pieces in Voldemort and Harry's soul through the spell of Ada Kedavra. So just pretty... Right, but that wouldn't work with say the diary that's what it says i i mean obviously they didn't try it so mm. who knows I, yeah i feel like that i would have tried that i don't know <laughs> like it seems like a pretty streamlined thing to try like thought process wise but i don't think any of like the main good guy characters ever use about a cadaver though no right? but like you're yeah, not killing yeah. another because they person. don't have like the yeah, that so would have muddied the waters too much, maybe. Yeah, would killing a, would killing a Horcrux using Avada Kedavra, like, split your soul, do you think? Would that, like, be an act of murder that could split off a piece of your soul to create another Horcrux? Well, I think you have to intentionally make the other Horcrux. Well, I know, well, but there's, the there's act certain of murder stage. is what splits the soul. And then, like, making yeah. the Horcrux is what, like, houses the soul, piece of soul that you split through the murder. 
So, like, if they're implying that all murders... We'll, we'll get into that, because I think that the one that kind of makes it the craziest is Nagini. Or Nagini, however you want to say it. Yeah. That's the one that kind of throws the biggest curveball into, like, all the theories that are out there, mm-hmm. from what I've looked into. Right. So, yeah, that leads us into our next section, where Larry and Justin are going to tell us some of their speculation. Sure. Uh, <laughs> internet speculation. <laughs> so, I think it's very, very important to first put out that there is nothing, like official right because jk Rowling hasn't put any anything out there not on um what's the website she has pottermore i'm a member of pottermore Come on, even you. i knew that larry Come on. <laughs> i know i was i was blanking um but basically there's like three steps right you have to murder somebody you have to put you have to use the actual horcrux charm to rip your soul and then you place it into the object but there's a lot of implication that there's like a ritual or something that you have to do before you even make the object to hold the Horcrux. And then there's the whole idea of what you have to do to make that happen. Because I think that's what Hermione was referencing when she was in the books talking about how dark it it could get. Right. So uh, one thing I saw online is that there's three steps. The first is that the wizard prepares the Horcrux using the ritual. And the ritual doesn't involve any murdering because obviously that doesn't make sense. It seems like it's more of like a personal punishment. So what I saw is like cannibalism, necrophilia, or like blood rituals. Yeah. Which are all three really fun things. (laughs) Uh, And then obviously the one everybody knows is the murder, right? Um What's what happened then? And obviously, I guess the same thing with Nagini. This is the biggest question to the, like, all the theories is that Harry Potter wasn't prepared in a blood ritual or hopefully no necrophilia was going on or anything crazy like that in the uh, Potter house that night. And Nagini obviously was like uh, an accident too. So I don't know. But, so there's a murder and then you cast the charm to rip your soul in half and then you place it in the receptacle, which makes it a horcrux. Man, so I am glad dark. you knew because. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it even though like the entire like step by step process isn't in the books, like it's everything's pretty much implied. It's just how you get from A to B to C, right? So, to me, I think like cannibalism and necrophilia is just like pushing it probably a little too far. Like, I don't agree with this mm. person who put that theory there. I'm sure it's more of a blood ritual, and. What makes me think that is in um, Half Blood Prince when Dumbledore and Harry go to that lake of fire or whatever yeah. it is, right? And they have all, what are those things called? The zombies. Inferi. Thank you. Yeah. And they have the Inferi floating around. Like, part of me wonders if, like, maybe they're connected to it, which would bring back in the whole idea of, like, the dead bodies and stuff. But I don't know, because, like I said, the hardest part is Nagini and Harry were unintended horcruxes. Well, Nagini, I think, was intended, but it's weird because Voldemort, like, was not in a full body when he made her. So he made her after... Because he made her when he killed the... Because he, he made her when he killed the ministry person, right? In Bertha, the woods. Yeah, Bertha Jorkins. Yeah. So he made her intending her to be his seventh Horcrux because he didn't know that. Or like seventh piece, including him. Okay. But he because he didn't know that Harry was one. Okay. Okay. So I misunderstood. I misremembered yeah. that then. I, I thought that she yeah. was an accident. I knew that he killed that 
Bertha Jordan and Nagini were tied together. I just thought it was an accident. Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's other questions too, right? Like, how does that all work with like the unicorn blood? Like, yeah, there's, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's like kind of more fun to just kind of speculate. Like I think not knowing it, but the two steps that are for sure is that you have to kill somebody mm-hmm. and then you have to willingly cast the charm to rip your soul. So I don't know how that happened with Harry. <laughs> yeah, I'll get into that a little bit later with Harry. The short answer is that he's essentially not really a Horcrux. Oh, really? But we use the word Horcrux because it just it makes sense. It's like the same thing where part of Voldemort's soul is in him, but would the thing he's would not... the same thing have happened with Neville? Do you think, or do you think like very specific things happened that led Harry uh... to surviving? And Neville probably wouldn't have. Or was, like, the prophecy, like, guaranteed to push it that way? I feel like the prophecy would have pushed it that way, regardless. Like, it might have happened a different way. Mm -hmm. It might, like, Neville might have survived some other way. I don't know, like, some other way besides a mother's love. Mm -hmm. But I feel like he's still, the same thing probably would have happened. Okay. Yeah. I was just wondering if that when I was even, like fulfilling the prophecy. Yeah, I was just wondering that when I, when I was like reading through this, and because obviously, that's like one of the bigger like, what ifs in the universe, is yeah. like how much like is it like, a true butterfly effect? It would have happened the same no matter what, or what if different things have happened? Could Voldemort have won, or was he destined to, to lose no matter what? Poor guy. But uh, yeah, that's all I have. I I would say that I almost disagree with Audrey. Um, I think that. Ooh. Like, not saying that I don't think that, like, Neville could have survived and, like, not saying that he could have just survived a different way, but for things to happen the way that they did, there was, like, very specific things that had to have been met. Like, Lily yeah. had to have sacrificed herself. Like, James and Lily both didn't have their wands on them, so, like, they were both very vulnerable. So, like, I don't know for sure. And they talk about prophecies not being accurate most or mm-hmm. at least half the time yeah. probably. You know, there's like that hall of prophecies, there's no way that every single one of them comes true. So like I yeah. think that Voldemort might have been destined to fail. Like I think that was more of the prophecy, not so much that like Neville or Harry would have survived. I think it's more that like Voldemort just wouldn't have succeeded. I don't know. Like I feel like that was yeah, more the end goal. What do you think, though, about, like, the whole, the chosen one, like, neither can live while the other survives? I don't know. Is that referring to him, like, putting the Horcrux inside Harry or the part of his soul inside Harry? I think that's what it ends up referring to, I guess. So that's why I think that he still would have had, like, not saying exactly, like, Neville's mom would have sacrificed her and all that, but, like, Neville still probably would have ended up, like, surviving the killing curse and having part of Voldemort's soul unless it was a fake prophecy (laughs) yeah see I think that's the point that gets me that I don't think that most prophecies come true like specifically how they're laid out in them so that's why I'm a little bit more skeptical that it would have happened if any the prophecies that Shirani put out there though she's batting pretty high though that's true from what we know when when she like actually has when she's actually feeling it yeah (laughs) 
I don't know. If you go back and listen to all of the predictions that she's made, I would say that most of them are pretty sound. Like, they don't, they never end up the way that you think they're going to, but I feel like they always end up being true. Like, the whole thing about, like, the Christmas, the year at Christmas when she talks about, Mm -hmm. like, when 12 people dine together, the first one to get up dies, and how, like, Dumbledore was technically the first one to get up, because, like, Scabbers was there and was, like, the 12th or the 13th person or whatever. I don't know. No, actually, I, I read some. I read like something on Reddit. I think talking about that, and Trelawney's a kind of a goofball, but she does she does do better than I think we give her credit for. For sure. Yeah, certainly. But yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not like, it's not so much scary. It's more just really dark. The whole idea of a Horcrux is super dark, and I mean, I think a lot of people like would consider keeping themselves alive indefinitely by if they could rip their soul in half. But I think a lot of people would probably pause real quick when they have to murder somebody like the whole idea of like living forever is cool so i don't know because in my head before i saw this theory and started thinking about it i always thought that the act of murdering produced a horcrux like you had that for example you'd have to have the tiara of ravenclaw with you when you killed the person to make it a horcrux but from what i've seen online most people don't think that's the case it's like Mm -hmm. prepped like beforehand yeah, I think that's the general consensus is that, like, you have to do something beforehand, which is why so few people have done it. Yeah, and it's... Because otherwise, like, wouldn't a ton of Death Eaters, like, have Horcruxes? Or they, they could have if they knew the charm, right? Yeah. So that, that was always my thought, was that the charm was the hard part. And that's why he, like, liquored up or seduced Slughorn, however you want to think about it, to get him to give him like, the answer to it. But I don't know, because... I mean, it's weird thinking, like, did, like, Riddle collect the four, like, house things and then, like, do one big blood ritual? Or did he do, like, four separate ones? Oh, yeah. I think I think the idea is that he did them one at a time. That's how I've always interpreted it. Okay. But I guess he could do, like, multiple at a time because there's some that are close together yeah. in the timeline. Yeah. Do we so. know, I think we're going to get into this later, but do we know who was killed for each of the Horcruxes for Voldemort? somewhat um like some of the answers are like a romanian peasant or a muggle tramp so like we know (laughs) kind of who it was but not always specifically most of them are significant deaths because that's like Voldemort being this like power hungry person is that he wanted like significant magical objects and you say power hungry i think he has more of a flair for the dramatic (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we we can go on from this, but I think the the darker part is the first part because that's the the whole idea of creating the receptacle for a Horcrux is the part that Rowling really didn't touch on. So that's like the most open right. for speculation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think definitely like eerie is a better way to describe it than necessarily scary. But Revolting maybe. I like yeah. that one too. <laughs> well, she does say that like she told her editor and her editor almost like threw up when they heard it. So So do you think it's necrophilia? Like do you think I, it's I something think, nasty like, like that? I mean, I've like from what I've seen, I think cannibalism is the most common one. Okay. But I've like I've gone in depth and heard people go in depth and like read about it about how that would kind of be impossible due to moaning Myrtle because her body was not disturbed 
it was yeah, it was untouched when That's they found right, her. Yeah. And there was like a very short period of time between her dying and people actually finding her, like an hour or two. So like. I don't know how much could go on in that period of time. So that's kind yeah, of the one that any, throws like, the wrench in cannibalism. Well, maybe... I think we know that mag- magical like autopsies are kind of weird. Like, I guess it wouldn't have been too hard for him to like use some spell to cut her open and pull her heart out and like close her back up. Like, I don't think they really did an autopsy on her, True. right? Yeah. But I, I don't know. I... If the Horcrux had to be created also at the time of the killing, it would make more sense, like, you kill the person, then you eat part of their flesh, and then, like, the whole thing's kind of done. But because it's also like, separated, and it doesn't seem like it has to happen back to back to back, that's a little bit different, true. I think. He could have just eaten anybody. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He has a bag of hearts could in his eat back pocket. To make the diary ready. <laughs> so, yeah, him and Hannibal the Cannibal hanging out. But yeah, that's what I got. Nice. All right, we can move on to the next section. Um, so Katie and I are going to talk, going to go through each of the Horcruxes and a little bit of background on them. You guys feel free to jump in whatever with points. Sure. Um, so we're going to do them in order of when we think they were made. Okay. Uh, the first thing before we start, though, is that I want to point out this Tumblr post that I think I saw it, like, probably a year ago or something, but it's just always blown my mind because I never considered this. So it's from Night Vale Secret Police on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a pie chart of the percentage of Voldemort's soul in each of the Horcruxes. Um, and it's saying that, like, I don't know, if you don't really think about it, you would just assume, like, half of his soul mm-hmm. goes into the Horcrux. But then if he made eight of them... It's like half of his soul goes into the diary and then he makes the ring next and then a quarter of his soul goes in there because it's half of the half remaining. Mm -hmm. And so going all the way down, progressively he has less and less soul remaining and the Horcrux he makes has less of his soul. Um, So by the end of him making Horcruxes, he only had one sixty-fourth of his original soul uh, and the largest fragment of his soul was... Uh, in the diary, which was half of his soul. So I guess that could possibly explain why the diary seems to be, like, the most powerful horcrux. Yeah, and I wonder, like, let's say that they had never found the diary, like, Lucius had it messed up. I wonder if he would have been more powerful during that final confrontation if the larger part of him was still kicking. It's also interesting that that was the first one to be destroyed, too. So convenient, JK. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. All right. Cool. So it's, so it's, it's then, a really cool pie chart. I never thought about it either. And yeah, it, we'll we'll post it when we release this episode because it's just like crazy to look mm-hmm. at. Um. So then the first one made obviously the diary. So Tom Riddle bought this diary from a news agent in Vauxhall Road in London, and this information is on Pottermore, which I I was going to ask how we knew that. <laughs> yeah, it's really weirdly specific. A lot of the other Horcruxes don't have Pottermore like pages but the diary well, I does. I think Harry okay. finds that out because when he gets the diary I think he like I could be making this up oh. but I think he like doesn't it yeah, say Yeah, I think it, it says oh. where it was bought cuz he's trying to figure out whose it is. Mm-hmm. I know I yeah, could be making that up but right. I feel like that happens in the books. I need to go back and reread. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Okay. <laughs> so, we know that 
he, the diary was made into a horcrux um, in 1943 because at, it was the, at the end of Tom's sixth year when he killed uh, Myrtle, Myrtle Warren, who then becomes Moaning Myrtle, via the basilisk in the bathroom. That's and interesting. That's a whole, yeah, that's interesting too because he didn't actually kill her. He didn't actually kill her. Yeah. Which I have a big <laughs> issue with, but we talked about that on our Myrtle. Yeah, episode. I remember that. I remember that now. Yeah, you're right. So okay. I actually, I actually have a question about Moaning Myrtle. Um, so I obviously I don't know a lot about Harry Potter. So is she like, <laughs> just like a really like nasty ghost, or is she like stuck in the She's bathroom? Sad. <laughs> yeah. Like is she like a pervert, so, or does she just <laughs> can't leave the bathroom? This story. So she was killed okay. in the bathroom, and by the basilisk and then she was in the bathroom at that time because this girl olive hornby that's her name right mm-hmm. kitty um was okay. teasing her about her so glasses myrtle being a 15 year old when she got to decide after dying whether she wanted to be a ghost she decided to become a ghost so that she could haunt olive hornby that's right but then yeah. olive ended up having to get like a a restraining order (laughs) which it's not clear how that works (laughs) because she's a ghost um and myrtle was like forced by the ministry to stay in the bathroom at hogwarts i think but like specifically i don't think it specifically said the bathroom but i think she just chose that that's where she died it's probably where she felt more most comfortable yeah okay so she's just nasty then okay okay it fueled her fire okay. being there all the time just kept her angry about it oh, okay 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 i get it now kind of. <laughs> yeah so yeah myrtle's death led to tom riddle making the diary into his first horcrux um the diary is particularly cool or creepy um because it can communicate with anyone who writes in the pages and was created basically for the purpose of using that memory that piece of tom riddle's soul to reopen the Chamber of Secrets in the future, which we, of course, see it do when Lucius Malfoy sneaks it into Ginny Weasley's books. Ginny gets possessed, and then, long story short, Harry saves the day, stabs the diary with a basilisk fang as, like, a sort of last hope, and it destroys the Horcrux. So we have our first one gone. So do you think... This is always something that I've wondered. Do you think J.K. knew that that was a Horcrux and she wrote book two because of all these like weird things that were going on with it. And like, like, do you think she was I think aware? she had to have. Yeah. I think she had to have too for like specifically like the basilisk thing. It was the only thing that could kill it. I feel like that is too much of a coincidence too. Well, it wasn't the only thing, right? Well, I mean, it was because the one thing that Harry Gryffindor's tried. sword could have killed it too, right? Yeah. At that point, the sword could have. Well, Gryffindor's sword could only have killed it after that, series of events because the reason that Gryffindor's sword can kill horcruxes is because it only takes on that which makes it stronger so it when harry stabbed the basilisk with the sword it took on the basilisk basilisk venom okay so now it can kill horcruxes all right i just feel like it would have all had to have been like very convenient for it to have worked out if she didn't know yeah. it <laughs> Yeah. But, well, I, I kind of get your point, though, Larry. It's kind. It's kind of <coughs> like how um, oh, I'm drawing a blank now. Lord of the Rings. I can't think of his name, and I feel horrible. But he got that. Frodo. No, like the guy who wrote it. I can't. I'm Bilbo. F- oh, Tolkien. Tolkien. Yeah, he got. <laughs> he he got that idea because he had this like kind of significant but yet insignificant ring in his one book, right? 
Like he mm-hmm. he came back to it later and made it important. After the uh, after the hobby, yeah. I mean. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. I, I, I okay. I, I just. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. Like I she said, I, I like rolling, and I, I. But sitting here, like actually looking at all the inconsistencies, maybe that's why she doesn't want to dive into the Horcrux making, is so that she doesn't have to like tie all these loose ends up. I wouldn't doubt that's it. Do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sorry. We can move on. So, yeah, so the second Horcrux made was the Peveril family ring. Mm-hmm. So Marvolo Gaunt had the ring in his possession, and he is Tom Riddle's paternal grandfather. Yep. Um, and it was passed no, down maternal. through males in the Gaunt family line maternal. for centuries. Maternal. Was that? Because it's his mom. Maternal, yeah, yeah. yes, sorry, maternal. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, not Tom Riddle's son. <laughs> so... It originally came into the Gaunt family from the Peveril family, which is the three brothers family. Um, and the stone in the ring, we find out, is actually the resurrection stone with the Deathly Hallows symbol carved into it. Mm-hmm. But Marvolo was kind of dumb, and he just thought it was the Peveril coat of arms. Did not realize that this was actually the resurrection stone. I never put that together. <laughs> yeah, I never, actually, I just never put that together. Okay, that's cool. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Tom Riddle stole the ring from Morphin Gaunt, who was his uncle, mm-hmm. Marvolo's son. Um, and he found out from Morphin that his father was Tom Riddle Sr. So he stunned Morphin, took the ring, took his wand, and went up to the big house in Little Hangleton to kill the Riddles. And then he used the murder of his father to make the ring into a Horcrux. Um, so how so long after he- the diary did he do this this is like the summer after it's in the summer after because he then wore the ring at hogwarts yeah right so so that would have been his seventh year okay yeah so he eventually stopped wearing the ring and he hid it in the gaunt family shack but he enchanted it um and put a curse on the ring that would slowly kill whoever put it on dumbledore then years later finds the ring and because he had searched the gaunt shack for horcruxes, and he was, of course, tempted by the Deathly Hallows symbol, symbol his fatal flaw, mm-hmm. um, and put the ring on. So then that started the whole curse where his hand started to wither away, and Snape was able to contain it, but basically Dumbledore only had a year to live. Dumbledore did succeed in killing the horcrux, though, with the sword of Gryffindor, because it now had the basilisk venom from when Harry stabbed the basilisk. So when he killed the Horcrux, broke the ring, whatever. So he just shattered, like, the ring. The rock stayed behind, right? Like, the rock yes, itself didn't shatter. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if we're talking about plot conveniences, uh, the stone in the ring being the resurrection stone is a pretty big <laughs> one. <laughs> well, not only yeah. that, but Dumbledore had the Elder Wand, the stone, and he easily had access to the cloak. Mm-hmm. So he could have been yes. impervious anyway. The master of death. Yeah. He was tempted by being the master of death. But why would he have died? All he had to do was like, hey, Harry, give me your jacket or I'm going to die real quick. Like, why wouldn't he have just... Well, so there is lots of, like, speculation whether owning those three objects actually makes you invincible because, like, the phrasing is master of death. And so, like, Dumbledore explains to Harry that he thinks that that means, like, you become the master of death when you don't fear death and when you, like, embrace death as the final journey that you take. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. It's up in the air what that means. So it's not. Yeah, so also, the objects can kind of be 
seen as imperfect. Like, I mean, obviously the wand and the stone are meant to be imperfect, but the objects themselves are not actually living up to how they are in the fable necessarily. Yeah, because I always thought, like, separated... Obviously the cloak was different, right? You're hiding or whatever. But... I always thought that if you had all three together, then you were good. Not necessarily like invincible, but you had a lot of tricks up your sleeve. Yeah. That's that's how it sounds, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry. And in the end, Dumbledore kind of chose to die, so. Yeah, Dumbledore kind of fell apart at the end. <laughs> Poor guy. He'd had a the hard cup. life. <laughs> So the, the next one is Helga Hufflepuff's cup. And so we kind of talked a little bit about this in our Hufflepuff episode, that its magical powers are a little ambiguous and unknown, um, even mm-hmm. though we know about the powers for the diadem and the sword specifically. I guess not so much about the locket or the cup. But we hypothesized about like an endless, like a refilling cup of wine, turning water into wine. It was the first utensil that made its way from the kitchens to the Great Hall. There are lots of theories out there. But so Hepzibah Smith um, was the first owner we see in the series of it. She is a descendant of Hufflepuff, so I assume it just kind of passed down through her family, or at least she claims that. I think it's been confirmed. I could be wrong about that, though. And then she was a frequent uh, buyer at Borgen and Burks, which is where Tom Riddle was working at the time. So he made a couple house calls, and he developed some trust between him and her, and she eventually told him that she was in possession of an artifact from Helga Hufflepuff, and he was so tempted. So he showed up at her house in 1946 when he, like I said, when he was working at Borgen and Burks, and he killed her. He blamed her house elf, Hokey, for it, stole the cup and the locket, which I'll talk about in just a second. He used her death to create the Horcrux for the cup, and he gave this to Bellatrix. So that messes up the whole timeline again then too, right? If he killed her first before he even had what he put the Horcrux into. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems that you could, maybe there's like a grace period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like 24 hours after yeah. the murder, you have to do something with it. Yeah. Um, but so he gave it to Bellatrix Lestrange to be kept in Green Gots. And Harry kind of goes into why he believes that Voldemort would keep something there. That it is a very, it's kind of the. It's a benchmark for being successful in the wizarding world, having a vault at Gringotts, and he never felt fully accepted, And let alone the Lestrange's vault being in the lowest part of the bank and, like, the most guarded because they're such an old historic family. And then, mm-hmm. like, that's how... I just said that's how Harry found figured out that I was in Gringotts, but it was also because at Malfoy Manor, when they... Bellatrix overreaction to thinking that something had been stolen from her vault, she was, like... She went into a rage, and Harry was thinking to himself, like, what else could be in there? We know that he's given out horcruxes to his trusted Death Eaters before. It could be at Gringotts. So they go, and they steal it, and then Hermione ends up killing this horcrux in the Chamber of Secrets with a basilisk bane once they get back to Hogwarts. I believe it's, like, the next day after Gringotts. They're... Yeah. In the movie, it's they like use the fire, country. right? It's not how the cup goes away. It's like the giant fire. Well, that's monster. how. That's yeah, the that's diadem. the diadem. I okay. they no, because this in the movie, this is when Ron and Hermione have their first kiss right after Hermione kills it, and then like the that's big right, wave of right. water comes. It's so stupid. Um. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Anyways, 
Um, so I just mentioned Slytherin's locket was also stolen at the same time. So this is one of the last heirlooms from Salazar Slytherin. And the Gaunts had this, specifically Merope, or Merope, however you pronounce that. Again, I always pronounce things the same way as Jim Dale, so that's Merope. Um, she mm -hmm. ended up or selling the locket to Borgen and Burke after she was thrown out by her family and left by her baby daddy, and she was left pregnant and alone. Which no was money. super sad. Yeah. Pretty well, tragic. because she loved Potion <laughs> I know, but what was, that's the reason why I like Tom Riddle's story, is just because, like, Half-Blood Princess does such a, show, such a good job of, like, explaining everything that led to him. I don't know. It's such a... Okay. That's why it's my favorite book, too. Yeah. All right, sorry, I continue. I keep interrupting you. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, you're totally fine. And so they end up giving her basically no money for it. She doesn't really care at this point, though. She just... Needs, but Isn't it like 10 gallons? Yeah, it's something crazy like that. And they basically are just like hopping up and down with excitement. They're like, hee, hee, hee. Because um, they can just make a killing off of this. Mm -hmm. So it's at Borgen and Burke, and then Hepzibar Smith buys it. And again, she shows it to Tom Riddle, or Tom Riddle knows that it's there. So he steals it at the same time as stealing the cup. And then he, this is when he killed a muggle tramp to create this Horcrux. So I'm actually going to disagree with Audrey again this episode. <laughs> uh, earlier she, <laughs> sorry, but earlier you mentioned that most of the kills were significant people. And I would argue that three of them at least were insignificant kills. Because there's the Romanian peasant, the muggle tramp, and Bertha Jorkins. Yeah. Like, yes, she gave him a lot of information, but she wasn't important to him at all or his story. Well, That's either fair. was Hepzibah. And I guess Myrtle isn't very. And either was Hepzibah Smith either. either. Yeah. Like, she was just more yeah. the woman who like had accumulated stuff and was there when Tom found out the story about the locket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm definitely just wrong. So I really like. And I, <laughs> guess I, just, I guess I just focus on the 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 Tom Riddle senior because that was like such a significant death for him. Yeah. I mean, like, I think it's something that Dumbledore says too. Like he tried to make the death significant. So I don't know. I yeah. I just don't really subscribe to that theory after, like, really breaking it down and looking at who was killed for each Horcrux. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. So then this is the one that he kept in the cave that he had visited when he was a child at the orphanage. And this is, like, where Dumbledore and Harry go, and then they take the fake locket. But it's fake because Voldemort had tested out the defenses with Creature and Regulus. Or no, Regulus, Regulus. wasn't there because I think Creature called him maybe. No, Regulus, tr Regulus found out that was Voldemort he, had made horcruxes yeah. and was trying to get the locket to destroy yeah. it, but it ended up killing him. Because well, him and Creature went there together. Yeah, no. He called Creature to come get the locket so Regulus could, like, die there and Creature could take the locket out. Mm -hmm. I think that Creature went with Voldemort to test out the potion, and Voldemort's plan was to kill him because they talk about how two, like, fully magical human beings couldn't go on the boat at once because it was Dumbledore and Harry who was not of age, and then Voldemort and Creature. Yeah. I'm, like, 90% sure that he took Creature to test out the potion and the Inferi and the defenses, and then Creature called Regulus, or Regulus found out about it and followed them there. And then once Voldemort uh, left Creature alone, Regulus came, and he's the one who, like, drank the potion. And then Creature took the locket, and Regulus left and was died in the cave from the potion and the Inferi, I assume. And so then Creature, yeah. Regulus was like, Creature, you have to destroy this. Like, do whatever you can. You have to kill this 
lock it, which is a weird thing because it's not alive. But anyways, <laughs> Creature kept it in the black house because he couldn't, he could not figure out how to destroy it. And so then Mundungus steals it from the black house and Umbridge basically takes it from him because she um, took a fancy to it when he was trying to sell it on the street, kind of like in the black market. And she was like, listen, I love how that locket's mentioned in the, like the books, like without saying what it is, like how it's there, but not like, I love that. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, it was, like, mentioned <laughs> when they're cleaning out the black house. Yep. Um, so a locket that no one could open, no matter how hard they tried. Yeah, like that. yeah, no, it's so cool. And then, so, Umbridge ended up with the locket from Mundungus, and she kept it as kind of, she used it as, oh, look, I'm a pureblood, like, I come from the Selwyn line, blah, 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 because there's mass on it. And then the gang break into the Ministry of Magic and they steal it from Umbridge and then Ron, it like, they keep it with them when they're camping and it causes much problems, many problems. And Ron leaves, <laughs> he comes back, but then he destroys it with the Sword of Gryffindor at the lake. Which we kind of went into the whole Sword of Gryffindor timeline in the Gryffindor episode anyways, so. Yeah. Right. All right, so then the next one is the Ravenclaw Diadem. So this object was created by Rowena Ravenclaw, um, founder of Ravenclaw House, and inscribed with the words, wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure. So this is, the diadem itself is believed to enhance the intelligence of the wearer. Not really clear how it does that, but that's the urban legend, if you will. So then Ravenclaw's daughter, Helena Ravenclaw, stole the diadem and brought it to the forest in Albania which maybe is Scotland, um, where it was then lost when she died at the hands of the Bloody Baron. So then no one knew where it was for centuries and centuries, and Tom Riddle, being the sly, cunning man that he is, um, kind of charmed the Grey Lady, which is the ghost of Helena Ravenclaw, uh, into telling him where it was, and he then found it and turned it into a horcrux with the murder of an Albanian peasant. So... When he returned to Hogwarts to ask Dumbledore for the Defense Against the Dark Arts position, Dumbledore believed that during that time he was searching for the Ravenclaw's diadem, but it turns out he actually already had it at that point. And when he was at Hogwarts, he hid it in the Room of Requirement, which is like kind of, I mean, Harry realizes that Voldemort was going to hide a Horcrux in in Hogwarts because... It was such a significant place to him, but it's pretty arrogant that he, like, thought that the Room of Requirement was a good hiding spot and that he was the only person that knew what the Room of Requirement was because, I mean, clearly students found it for many, many years. So Harry then finds it in the Room of Requirement before the Battle of Hogwarts and before him, Ron and Hermione can actually destroy it with the Basilisk Fangs, Crab casts the um, fan fire, which ends up killing him and also destroying the Horcrux. So Vincent Crab gets credited with that Horcrux destruction. <laughs> there you go, Slytherins. I don't, I don't like him being one of those. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, he's we, not really Slytherin's fine. We, we all have our outcasts. <laughs> all right. So the next one made is, of course, Harry Potter. So he became a Horcrux when Voldemort used Avada Kedavra on him and the curse rebounded and struck Voldemort instead. 
So essentially, a piece of Voldemort's soul latched onto Harry, and the other piece became the remaining fragment that is how he survived, like how he regained his body and everything. Um, this, it seems that this could only have happened because Voldemort's soul was already so unstable. Like he had already made five Horcruxes at this point. And there's some theorizing that he like may have been intending to make another Horcrux with Harry's death, but obviously never got the chance. So potentially that's why this weird bit of magic happened. Mm -hmm. JK has talked a bit about it. She said in a, um, interview after Deathly Hallows came out that basically for convenience, she had Dumbledore call Harry a Horcrux that Voldemort never intended to make. And she says, but I think by definition, a Horcrux has to be made intentionally. So because Voldemort never went through the grotesque process that I imagine creates a Horcrux with Harry, it was just that he had destabilized his soul so much that it split when he, he was hit by the backfiring curse. And so this part of it flies off and attaches to the only living thing in the room. A part of it flies to the or it flees to the very close to death limbo state that Voldemort then goes on and exists in. I suppose it's very close to being a Horcrux, but Harry did not become an evil object. He didn't have curses upon him that the other Horcruxes had. He himself was not contaminated by carrying this bit of parasitic soul. But he was, though, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he definitely was. I mean, I'm sorry to like, argue with like the author, but her text says otherwise. Like, being able to He was speak, certainly affected by it. Yeah, speaking parcel tongue, like, his, mood, his really bad mood swings in book five, like... <laughs> yeah. He definitely felt some, like, inner riddle going on. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, but because he was not really a true Horcrux, the piece in Voldemort's soul in him was not killed when he got impaled with Basilisk Venom. Yeah. Because that's been a thing that people have pointed to. Like, shouldn't that part of the soul have been killed off when the Basilisk attacked him in book two? Um, but instead, it was killed when Voldemort struck him with Avada Kedavra. So... I mean, my thought with that was always that, like, the soul, like, attached to Harry's. Like, it was, like, intrinsic, right? So Harry literally had to yeah. die for that part to die. Right. So then it's kind of... To, the way I understand it is that the killing curse kind of severed the connection between Voldemort's soul and Harry's soul. And then when the whole, like, weird King's Cross scene with Dumbledore at the end of Deathly yeah. Hallows is kind of, like, Harry was able to stay alive because it was actually killing the part of Voldemort in him, which maybe was the, the weaker soul, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and that's, like, that part of Voldemort's soul I've always interpreted is that weird, like, gross little fetus. Oh, without a doubt. You see. Which is, which is why I think, like, Harry could have died there, too, and that other part could have lived on. Yes. Yeah. Dumbledore paints it kind of as a choice. Mm -hmm. Okay, I would like to say something. So, if we are under the impression that the Avada Kedavra that killed Harry, quote-unquote, completely obliterated and severed Voldemort's piece of soul from Harry, why does stuff still happen in Cursed Child? We're like... Yeah, with his scar. Yeah, oh, cursed yeah, child. Why does the scar Again, still it's hurt? not uh, canon. Look at the facts, people. It's not. It cannot be canon. Yeah, I I enjoyed my time with cursed child. I was happy to get it. <laughs> but yeah, there's just it's so much like fan, it's almost reads like fan fiction, and it really <laughs> annoys me. Like, it's still sitting up there with like all my hardback first editions, but it's definitely like 
the lesser of all of them. And Should that, we put a shelf down? And like that that includes like my paperback copies of Fantastic Beasts and Quidditch Through the Ages that I got when I was like a kid. Like, <laughs> yeah. Sorry if I hurt anybody's feelings, but I read that for fan fiction, not for Harry Potter continuity. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. But yeah, you're totally right. I agree with you. So that's my that's my episode Lee Curse Child is not canon reminder to everybody. <laughs> um, so the next Horcrux is Nagini and so Voldemort came across Nagini while in the forest of quote unquote Albania. Um, when he was possessing different animals and he had a certain fondness for possessing snakes. I don't know if it's ever clearly said or whether it's just implied that he did possess Nagini at some point um, or whether like Nagini wouldn't let him because there was already a person's soul inside because we know that Nagini's actually a person who has a malediction and they share a special connection, which we might be learning a little bit more about in Fantastic Beasts. Hopefully, I'd love, I would like her storyline to be explored more. I think most people would. But she stayed with him when, she, when he came back to England after Peter found him and after Barty Crouch came back and they plotted his return. Uh, he made her a horcrux with the murder of Bertha Jorkins, which we've already spoken a little bit about. And then this was an interesting choice for horcrux because it is another living thing that can think and move on its own. So it's kind of unclear whether if, whether Nagini, if Nagini had died kind of more naturally what would have happened to Voldemort's soul, but then there's also the consideration that Nagini might not have ever died naturally because of it. Nagini being a person yeah. with a malediction, so it's all yeah. very... Or because of her being a horse. Yeah, so, because she lived longer than most snakes should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, obviously, yeah. She's a kind of her own special case, um, and Dumbledore talks about this a lot when he talks to Harry about how he thinks that Nagini is a horcrux, but it's a very unusual choice because, like I said, Nagini has a brain and a mind of her own, and she could kind of ruin things for Voldemort if she wanted to. Um, so that's going to be interesting if we get any more information about her that could impact this information. But then Neville killed Nagini during the Battle of Hogwarts with the Sword of Gryffindor after Harry had expressed to him how important it was that she had to, that she had to die. And then... Mm-hmm. She was the last Horcrux killed because it was even after the thing in Harry died that she was killed. Yeah. So she was the one who made Voldemort completely vulnerable. Speaking of Voldemort being vulnerable, um, the last thing that I'm going to talk about in the Horcruxes going through them is the piece of soul that was inside Voldemort. Uh, So there was still some soul inside of Voldemort that still had to be killed for him to be killed. So Harry kills this slash Voldemort kind of does it to himself because it is just a rebounding killing it's another, curse. It's another rebounding curse. Expelliarmus <laughs> as per usual. Um, <laughs> and in the books, I am going to point out that he does kind of shrivel up and age and die kind of more a natural death than yeah, mortally, yeah. it does in the movies. And I know that's kind of a point of contention. Yeah, for a <laughs> lot of Harry Potter fans that he didn't die as a human, that he kind of had this weird magical death when the point in the books yeah. was that he died as a human would because he was human. Yep, I agree. 
Okay, so now kind of our final section before we get to the pop quiz is going back to Here's Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, talk, you guys can talk a little bit about Horcruxes and horror, kind of how it fits in. I don't know, anything really. So the biggest thing, Justin, maybe you agree or disagree, but the biggest thing for me when I think of horror and like the idea of a Horcrux is more like... Possession almost? Selling... Possession or selling your soul to the devil. Yeah, right? like, like what, mm. thinking about it, I kind of thought of like Annabelle or maybe even like a little child's play in a way. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. like a little bit of voodoo. Yeah. Like, I can't think of anything specific like rip my soul in half, keep part of it, put part of it away. I more just think of like devil worshiping voodoo kind of magic, like to extend one's life. I mean, you have Jason Voorhees who just never seems to go down for. Yeah, it, a we don't talk about his reasons. time in hell though, so. We don't talk about that. Yeah, so that's 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 weird all by itself. But to anything in specifically, any kind of possession, any kind of interaction with you know the boss man down there, kind of takes the cake. And then you guys wanted to know if Horcruxes fit in as a spooky element in the series, like of Harry Potter. I think there's a lot more scary things in Harry Potter than a Horcrux. I think what's what a Horcrux is is more just disturbing, right? And Fury are terrifying. The spiders in the forest are terrifying. <laughs> Horcruxes are more, especially since it's so ambiguous. Like, and maybe we're all just so desensitized. But oh, like, we are. The idea of killing somebody. Wait, the idea of killing somebody. You guys probably are more than we are. <laughs> the idea of killing of killing somebody to like rip your soul in half seems almost tame, even in the Harry Potter universe, when you have these other really twisted, dark things. Like one of the things in me that I think is always like. The most terrible is um, Umbridge's quill. Oh yeah, like, yeah. That, like that's one where you that's write it dark. And it, like, gets scarred into your hand. <laughs> yeah, it comes your own blood and it's cut in the back of your hand. Yeah. Like that's some heavy shit. Oh, sorry, can I say that? Heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can <laughs> yeah. Do that. Like that's some really, really heavy stuff. And and honestly, like book five is really where Harry and the whole universe starts getting heavy after the death, death of Cedric. So, I mean, I guess horror is kind of in the eye of the beholder. I just think without knowing what actually takes to create the receptacle for the Horcrux, just the idea of it by itself is more just like, of course something like that would exist in a magical universe, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree? Oh, Jay? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So before we move on to the pop quiz, I just wanted to thank you guys so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed oh, your no points of view and we really appreciate it. I think it, Spices up the episodes a little bit, adds some new perspectives from Slytherins <laughs> that we don't normally have. So that was nice. <laughs> we don't hate Slytherins. I hope not, because we are an equal house of Hogwarts, and we have some historic people. Very true. Very some true. Some good. Harry could have been Slytherin. You know? Yeah, I have lots of he things to say wrong. about Harry and Slytherin when we, if we finally do. He would have fit really well. He would have fit better in Slytherin than he would have in Gryffindor, in my humble opinion. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we need to bring you on again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this episode's pop quiz question is, what is or was when you first started reading or watching this series on screen or on the book, what was the spookiest or the scariest part to you? So You can go first, Justin. Okay. Um, I, I actually, I, I saw this and it instantly came to my mind. Um, it was, I believe this, okay, so up until the Goblet of Fire, I got all of them. Like, my grandmother would give them to me. Like, I remember going to Costco and waiting until they opened up to, like, go pick them up the day they came out. Um, so I was 13, 
when did uh, Goblet of Fire come out? 2000? Oh, you're, I don't know the dates, man. I'm bad with Two? those. Two? I think. Anyways, I was like 13. Probably, yeah, around there. So I was like 13, and I remember reading the, I think it's like the intro chapter where it's at the house. Riddle House. Yeah, mm-hmm. that like that sequence just as like a a young teen or whatever the hell you want to call it at that age. Um, I don't know. Just that whole sequence was absolutely terrifying. Just it, it kind of gave off this vibe that it was, this is where the series was going to start to get darker. It really did. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah. I've always kind of hated that chapter because I think it scared yeah. me so much. <laughs> <laughs> Larry, what's your, what's your, so I, I like that too, mainly because I like the way it describes the real family being found. And then later we find out why. But for me, the scariest thing that I saw, like that I read, was the Infuri, right? That was like a legit huge change of pace, like zombies in the lake. That's terrifying. And then I think the, the scariest thing that I saw outside of the spiders, because I am a giant whip when it comes to spiders, I think I'm going to have to say Bellatrix when she killed Sirius. Like that whole sequence was just like sad and dark and like in all the wrong ways. So that's for me. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I, so like, I don't remember the first time I like read or watched a lot of this because I was so young and consuming it kind of all at the same time. But I remember being terrified watching Chamber of Secrets um, with the spiders. Mm -hmm. Like I remember like my brothers watching it and me kind of running out of the room (laughs) but now thinking back on it i think the scariest part to me is the end of goblet of fire with the the whole scene in the graveyard and harry and cedric don't know what's going on and the like resurrection of voldemort is like a very unsettling scene no i totally agree um audrey i wish i had gone before you because ours are very very (laughs) similar no they're not exactly (laughs) the same i mean chamber of secrets to me is the scariest movie that moment when harry's like down in the sewers with the basilisk and he's sitting there and he's like trying not to breathe loudly and like throws the rock like that gets my heart pumping every single time i watch it (laughs) like that was probably the scariest movie to me as a child and then probably in the books it's i like the end of four with the killing of Cedric and like the resurrection. You love that part. I know. Well, I don't love that part. I don't love that (laughs) Cedric dies. Well, no, but it's your favorite scene. You describe it as your favorite scene. I don't think so. No, my favorite, no, my favorite scene is when they come back and everything's explained to Harry. uh, Not when it's at the graveyard, but like Voldemort's kind of his monologue. It can, is like pretty creepy and yeah. It goes on forever. Yeah, it goes on for a very long time. And, like, him using the Crucio, Cruciardus curse on Harry for the first time that Harry's experienced that and, like, the first time we've actually seen that used on a person, like, with malicious intent is, like, really big, I think, in the series. And I don't know. And Ralph Fiennes is a great, like, he was such a great cast as Voldemort. Yeah. And he yeah. really, really brings the next level to it. Yeah, no, I – and that scene in the movie is – might be better than that scene in the book just because it was cut down because Voldemort's monologue is like an entire chapter. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I actually have a quick question for you guys. Um, do you think there is a artifact in the Harry Potter world that would have been better suited for a Horcrux over another? Okay, I was thinking about this as a potential pop okay. question. <laughs> and I somehow, I don't know that this would be a better Horcrux, but I somehow came to the idea that I think it would have been really cool if the sorting hat was a Horcrux. I agree. Yeah. I thought it was for a because long time, too. there are pieces of the minds of the four founders in 
the sorting hat. That's how it like chooses. So like then if Voldemort's soul was in it, that'd be super cool to see how that So is there one that you would replace that with? The diary. Uh, What do we got here? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the ring. I love the ring. I think the diary. I think the diary. The diary. I think the diary is just so powerful. It's really cool. Well, I mean, obviously it was like the whole like precipice for book for book two i just think if i was going to take one out and replace it i think that taking the diary you could do a whole book on the sorting hat being or her tracks where the other ones are all cool and like memorable in their own right but they don't have much power the sorting hat would like there there you could easily have a whole book based on the implications of what that hat does yeah, like, like, what would have happened when Harry put on the sorting hat? Well, what if it is a horcrux? Like, I mean, it's, it's not, but, like, what if, like, in order to put part of their minds into the hat, yeah. like, they all had to, like, rip part of themselves do. off to, like, put it in there so they're always alive within Hogwarts, right? Yeah. I don't yeah, that's... no, that's really cool. I don't, I don't have a cool answer for that, so I just won't answer it. <laughs> okay. Wrapping up, I guess. So you can sub- subscribe to us anywhere you listen to your podcasts. You should also subscribe to Here's Johnny. You guys are available anywhere. Is that correct? Wherever you want to find a podcast, we should be there. All right. Leave us a review. Leave Here's Johnny a review. really helps us grow our, our network. Yeah, our, for sure. Our listeners. And also check out our other network co-podcast. <laughs> uh, that's not how science works. Yeah, and then you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Wizard Studies Podcast and Twitter as Wizard Studies. And then you can email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also find Here's Johnny. I think Twitter is where you're most active from Twitter and Instagram, but also Reddit. Am I correct? We, we post on Reddit, yeah, just to kind of get the episodes out there. But Twitter is usually where I'm most active. I post every week on Instagram and Facebook, but... I interact the most on Twitter, I think. Just because it's like right on my and phone. And that's, is that Here's Johnny? Cast. Cast? Yeah, okay. Here's Johnny Cast. Yeah. We'll link all of these in the episode description oh, you're if so you guys nice. are interested. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It, it was a lot of fun. Oh, thanks for having us yeah. on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. It was fun. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all wrapped. Mm-hmm.